Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to the Beer Ladies podcast. I'm your host today, Christina, and I am joined with my co-host, Lisa, and a very special guest that I'll get to in a minute. Um, Before I get to that, just a reminder to check us out on all your socials, YouTube, and wherever you get your awesome podcasts. So we are joined today by the Irish Beer Writer of the Year, John Duffy. Oh, and he's got he's got his framed framed award folks at home it's it's wonderful it's it, it hasn't been out of my reach since the 13th of october <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it's the nomination amazing. that counts obviously so. <laughs> oh it's brilliant no that's so we're so excited to have you and again congratulations on that so Thank well you. deserved Lovely very very well deserved so really excited to talk to you all about beer blogging and Bjorn and just everything but before that let's start with that you know perennial question what are you drinking so John I'm going to start with you what are oh, you sure. drinking today well I am a stout man so I am on Porterhouse's Rasslers, as I think it's still sort of semi-officially called, but they changed the name to XXXX a couple of years ago because some branding consultant presumably told them that was a good idea. Um, everyone <laughs> still calls it Rasslers. It's been a favourite of mine for a very long time. Um, it's still great. It's It works equally well on nitro, on cask, on bottled um, and canned. Um, lovely, big, hoppy, um, but still sessionable start. Very good. That's a good one. It's a very nice beer. Lisa, what are you drinking? Uh, I am on the Dead Center Brewing Source Code, which is a triple hopped, sorry, triple dry hopped IPA, not triple hopped because that doesn't mean anything. Triple dry hopped at least. But we'll say that means something. Sure, let, let's go for it. And we, we like we like our friends at Dead Center. So uh, we will see how, how this one goes. We always, again, like to support Irish beer and uh, that's kind of part of tonight's discussion. So excited about that. And how about yourself? Well, I can't drink for a while. Stupid health problems. Um, but I I have the trouble um, pumpkin brew, pumpkin ale. Um, so I'm hoping I can drink some of these for Christmas because this is like one of my favorite beers of all time. So I got them at Martin's and I'm just, you know, hoarding them away for, for Christmas holidays, which hopefully then I can drink again. But, um, yeah, really excited to try this one. I love this beer. I love the whole 
kind of exciting time of the year to kind of get it. Like we were talking before about um, things that are kind of limited edition. And I do like that. So I, I just, I love this beer and I'm just so excited for it. Yeah. yeah. This is really good. I liked it. Drinking Halloween beer at Christmas is very on brand for Casino. <laughs> yeah. True. I still have my Halloween decorations. Up, so. <laughs> we're trying to take ours down now, but it's still, it, it's a slow process. We're spooky people. So. Exactly. I mean, is it, is it, is it a Halloween decoration or is it just decor? Exactly. Exactly. But we digress. Yes. First, let's get, let, let's get to, to the interview. So John, um, if you want to tell us a little bit about how you got, like, what, why, why craft beer? What, what was the beginning of, of all of that? Yeah, well, it wasn't called craft beer back then. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I came to Dublin in 1995 uh, to go to college and summer of 1996 was between first and second year in college and I decided I would stay in Dublin and got a job in a pub and was the absolute worst barman in the world and <laughs> um, hated it really bad at it um, but one of the things was that one of the the pub was owned by three brothers and one of them was always um, checking out whenever a new place opened, a new restaurant, a new bar. He would be among the first to to go along and he would report back. And I remember one must have been a Friday evening and I was sweeping up at, you know, whatever it was, 12 o'clock, 1 a.m. And he stuck his head under the, the shutters and came in and plonked himself down at a bar stool and said, there's this new place that's just opened in Temple Bar and they're making their own beer. And everyone who was standing around had a good laugh at that. <laughs> and I, it had never occurred to me that you could go to a place where beer was made. I mean, beer came on the back of a truck. That's that's what it was. So the idea of being able to go to the place where the beer is made and drink the beer there was just um, uh, incredible to me. So uh, first chance I got, I went down to this new place, which was the Porterhouse on Parliament Street in Dublin. So back then... Uh, the brewery was inside the pub itself. They've since moved it out. But you could go in and they had um, brewers in white coats, you know, going up and down the the sort of glass-fronted uh, brewery. Uh, and they had their own range of beers, none of the, the familiar brands at all. And I got really into it. Um, it was uh, the time when a nitrogenated red ale was just new. So Caffrey's and, <laughs> and Kilkenny were... Um, were big and Porterhouse had their own, their um, Porterhouse Red. Um, and I became a big fan of that. And I dragged everyone I knew to drink in the Porterhouse as soon as I could. Um, and I think that's kind of where I, when I started getting fascinated in beer and sort of that my mind was open to there is more than just the mainstream brands. And then a few years later, um, I started to travel and that always became sort of the the first thing that I did when I went somewhere was find out, well, what's the local beer? Where can I go to drink beer where it's made? Um, and everything else just kind of followed from there. I, I thought I would have got over it by now, but it's a <laughs> quarter of a century later, we're still here. I, I wonder, too, I feel like uh, maybe people either start homebrewing and then end up opening a brewery or they start writing and go down that <laughs> route. So you, you've clearly chosen the... I'll say the more economically sensible option in, yeah, in writing. But yeah. <laughs> when did you first start the, the writing bit? Did you start off just doing kind of tasting notes? How did it evolve into a more public? So, well, you can, all of my juvenilia is still there <laughs> on my blog. 
Um, I, as I say, I started traveling and started getting interested in beer, and it must have been 2004. I was in London, and I walked into a pub, and there were whatever seven or eight different beers on. And there was Green King IPA and there was London Pride and there was lots of the familiar brands from English beer at that time. <clears throat> and I thought, I've definitely had some of these before and I don't think all of them are good. <laughs> I need a way of remembering or, or having a reference point for which beers I like and which beers I don't. So I need to start keeping a list, basically. and. It was, I sort of had that idea in my head for probably the guts of a year. Um, and then I was going to Birmingham, I think, in 2005. And I thought, right, I definitely have to start getting stuff written down. And Neil Gaiman had a blog. And I thought, well, the, the way to do this is rather than uh, as a notebook is to is to make a, a blog out of it. So 2005, April 2005, I started a blog called the beer nut because all of the good names were taken <laughs> <laughs> that was the last one left and um yeah the idea was just to keep a record of every beer I've had and whether it was any good or not um and then I got sort of bored <laughs> doing it like that so I've started writing in a way that entertained me uh and yeah it's kind of grown from there um nearly 18 years later um i'm now posting about three times a week on whatever whatever comes my way um it's very sustainable because i don't have to think of topics i don't have to <laughs> go of content. i right. um I admire the people like yourself who have a general interest beer content <laughs> because i know how tricky it must be to try to come up with you know a schedule of things to to discourse upon um i just go to the off license or go to the pub drink what's there write down what it tastes like and publish it on the blog and that's that's pretty much it but i find that once you start that process of of thinking about it and writing about it it does completely change your attitude so um it, beer just completely took over my <laughs> my uh, <laughs> spare time and uh, it's uh, mostly what i think about now <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then sort of Twitter came along and magnified everything. So yeah, um, beer's beer's now my life. Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? You're going to go somewhere, but before you even look up, like, what are the fun restaurants? What are the sites? You're like, okay, wait, where do I go to get the good local beer? Or and and now I feel like it's so complicated too because it's not just where's the good local beer, but it's like, did anyone do a bad thing at any of these other breweries? And you have to like. <laughs> You know, yep. make sure that you're not promoting the wrong thing, even if you're just like trying it for once. But that's a that's a whole other topic. But, you know, we try to be, you know, sensible consumers. So. But yeah, it's definitely where where's the good beer? Um, and I definitely want to circle back to that because I want to ask, you know, which, what are some of your favorite places you've traveled for beer? But before we do that, I want to start talk a little bit about um, Bjorn and your role in Bjorn. And if you could explain to listeners who might not be familiar what that is and and sort of your role there. Yeah. So um, I was writing my blog, The Beer Nut, for two two three years and not really engaging with anything else that was happening on the internet I think I was I had some sort of daft fear that if I read other people's uh, opinions that it would affect my own or something <laughs> and it was only sort of 2007 that I started discovering that there was a, a, a beer community on the internet 
um, and there was one in Ireland. Um, there was someone had set up a, a website called Irish Craft Brewer. And it was really sort of intelligence. It wasn't very easy to find independent Irish mm. beer. It wasn't easy to find homebrew supplies. So people who were interested in those things had a, a forum or community to um, to discuss those. So I was straight into that and joined in. And that led on to in-person meetings at the Bull and Castle. We would have beer tastings and, and homebrew meetings. Um, and... Uh, Barry Masterson, who some of you may know, uh, was one of the, the instigators of it. Um, he went off to Germany and I find myself being a, a moderator of the community. And we had been asked a couple of times over the years, um, are you like camera? Are you a, you know, mm-hmm. a, a campaign group? And we weren't, we were just a, an internet forum. Um, and then eventually we got we came to the attention of the European Beer Consumers Union, which is the umbrella group for organizations like Camera, um, uh, who are organizing and advocating for beer consumer issues, which we were doing, just not in any um, organized sort of way. Mm-hmm. And they encourage us to become uh, a fully fledged campaign lobbying consumer group. So we to, to mark the change, we uh, changed the name to Bure. So pure.org is our site. Um, the activities did shift when, when Irish beer became much more commonplace. I mean, our goal to begin with was to have a situation where when you walk in off the street to any random pub um, in Ireland, that there would be something from whatever the local independent uh, brewery mm. is. And we've almost achieved that it's not difficult to find independent irish beer um so we don't do so much of the the cheerleading anymore and there's lots of people um doing that as well and and fair play to them um what i'm more interested in so i was co-founder of bure i was its treasurer for a while i stepped back and now i came back a couple of years ago as its current chairman and what i'm interested in are issues of drinkers rights and um, the law and government policy um, and all of that sort of hard stuff that nobody else is doing that tends to be a battle between the highly organized and well-funded anti-alcohol lobby and then the drinks industry who have their commercial interests. So I think it's important that the consumer has a voice in this Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I tend to use Bure for what I think is the real value of Bure. So we respond to government consultations and European consultations on, on various things that are happening and just try to often find ourselves having to counterbalance both what the, the anti-alcohol people and the commercial interests uh, mm-hmm. are doing. Yeah. Um, so that's that's pretty much what Bure is. And we do fun stuff as well. We have our AGM and we do trips and and things like that. And all for only a tenner. <laughs> yeah, and I think more people need to know about these trips because I know when we mm-hmm. were chatting last time we met in person, we were saying, well, we didn't even know these were happening. We would love to go on some of these. So we can we can also help you cheerlead. That's uh, part <laughs> yeah. of our job here. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I Bjor was um, one of the first organizations that I joined when I moved here. And I literally don't think I'd be where I am today without the support from Bjor and the support for like the Lady's Craft Beer Society of Ireland, which of course, you know, sprung up the podcast out of and I just yeah so I love your I support your and um yeah join if you're around Ireland I really recommend it um yeah just for a tenor for a tenor 
So yeah, great, great deal. So what do you see sort of going forward for Bior? Do you have any kind of goals in the next um, year even? <laughs> any um, little boxes no. you want to tick off? <laughs> Uh, oh no, not, I have no <laughs> real big plans. I kind of consider myself to be a caretaker chairman. Um, <laughs> my my predecessor Ruben was very um, well organised, and he he set up the various discounts that we have, and uh, we had a magazine for a while, and all of that stuff is very hard work, and mostly yeah. I can't be bothered. <laughs> so we'll do we'll do a few trips. Um, I am um, I'm always interested in podcasts like your own when brewers come on and say oh come down and, and visit the brewery or whatever so I was like oh yeah we must put together a, a, a beer trip and um, we'll, we'll do bits and pieces like that and then we have the awards um, every year we um, have what I think is a fairly um, unusual uh, awards uh, system for Irish beer in that uh, breweries can't enter it it's entirely drinker's choice so we just get we ask everyone to nominate their top three beers of the previous 12 months and we tot up all the votes and select our uh, beer of the year uh, and uh, I think it's a, it's a nice way of doing it rather than mm-hmm. you know having depending on brewers to to fill in entry forms or um, you know having blind tastings and, and that sort of thing it's it's um it's very very deliberately democratic um mm-hmm. in, in the way that it's, it does its thing yeah absolutely the the logistics of some of those those bigger sort of organizations can be really complicated in terms of some breweries sending stuff others don't you don't know what it's you know where it's been in the meantime so it can be very uh it can feel very unfair in some of them but i i like especially that it is, you know, sort of consumer driven because otherwise it can become very, uh, as we all know, can become very kind of, um, uh, I guess, trendy, which I'm doing with the biggest air quotes <laughs> possible. Yeah, um, yeah. And I know, especially our, our recent episode on kind of, um, you know, beer terminology, things like that, like so many of those trends can become very kind of self, uh, sort of self-replicating versus maybe what people are actually looking for as drinkers. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And- with with all due respect to the the most decorated Irish brewery, um, it's not <laughs> difficult to pay the money and send lots and lots of beers into lots and lots of competitions. Yeah, yeah. and I think that, that that's an interesting thing to bring up as well, like the financial hurdles that it can take to even just enter these competitions. So you know, having a one you can't enter, you're automatically entered if someone's drank it. You know what I mean? Yeah, is 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 nice change. It's refreshing. I think personally. Um, so yes, yeah, circling back to the beer writing, John, how does it feel to be the beer writer of the year? <laughs> wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. It's, uh, the uh, the big fish, small pond analogy springs to mind. But um, I I really like that the Irish Food Writing Awards did put uh, beer in in as a category from the beginning because it is a criminally overlooked. Um, sector. I mean, there is so much food writing and great food writing done yeah. in Ireland, and they're you know very talented writers and um, a great food scene. And beer really is an afterthought. It's um, I know the the Irish Times had a dedicated beer columnist for a while, and then they got rid of that, and then it kind of became a a box in the corner, and it's just the way <laughs> it's normally done. And yeah. uh, even then, it's not there every week, so. Um, the idea that 
beer writing would be recognized as a thing in Ireland, I think is is great. And that's why um, the first year I was absolutely um, determined that I would I would enter um, just to just to um, show that there is beer writing out there. Mm -hmm. And I would certainly encourage anyone who's writing about beer in Ireland to get involved with the awards. Um, and just to, to to represent for beer because beer needs it in a way that that food kind of doesn't. Yeah, because we, we do still struggle here a bit in terms of you you know you're even I don't want to say just your high end restaurants where I, I feel like the the ones in sort of the US or Canada or even to an extent in the UK there there will be a beer menu with the sort of high end tasting menu or whatever uh, in the way that you would have wine or something else. But it's harder to find here. There are places that do it, but it's not a it's not a given as it is in in some other places. So I think there's still a little bit of that, um, that, that sort of, um, you know, the sort of bias to overcome. And I think that kind of, that kind of award can shed light saying, no, no, there is really high quality here. And we need to, you know, make sure that people are saying, oh no, this is something to pair with a high-end food. And not that it has to be that, because yeah, I love that it yeah. is democratic, but we want it to be in all spheres, not just kind of, you know, just after work at the pub, which is great, but you know, it's for yeah. everyone at any time. Well, the yeah. I mean, the offer certainly needs to be fixed that there's this blind spot for our fantastic independent beer scene in Ireland um, that just doesn't seem to get recognized by the uh, when the when the celebrity chefs do decide right. to to have a beer offer that it just seems to be the the industrial stuff. Um, there was a a celebrity chef has just opened a new bar and restaurant in Dublin and um i was on their website during the week because it was social media was um covering it and it had the so they didn't have their menus up there they, they didn't have the drinks menus up yet but they did have their philosophy so talking <laughs> about the winemakers that they use or the small artisan um innovative interesting producers and then the cocktails would be local seasonal ingredients mm. and um simple and classy and beer it just said pints <laughs> pints uh, so it really yeah. is just the, the poor relation for for no good reason i would like to yeah. see that change no absolutely yeah. especially as you say there's so many people making really interesting stuff and, and i think so many people too where they have a really great story tied with you know either the heritage of the, the the farm or the locality or you know so many people using local ingredients um because that's it's again i wouldn't say it's a given but i feel like we have a real um kind of strength there a lot of people are doing it locally and you know why not celebrate that you know so much scope for it mm -hmm. yeah absolutely especially people seem to be really into like everything that's hyper local and why would you have a hyper local meal with like all this these um, this amazing local produce or or meat or whatever and then have some massive macro beer like wouldn't you prefer i would prefer i mean i drink macros too i'm not going to be judgmental but i'm just right. saying like if i'm having a hyper local meal and i'm really trying to enjoy something that's really here that represents the place i'd kind of want you know you want that local drink to go along with it i would i would think that would be at least a nice option to have yeah um sometimes i would make the excuse that this is all quite new um because it is kind of new i mean i've been yeah. doing this since 2005 when there were only whatever 20 breweries uh in ireland and, and very little of the beer moved outside its its yeah. local area um but it's been ten years now since the since the boom, mm -hmm. um, so it's not difficult to have your local brewery on your menu wherever your mm -hmm. your restaurant is or your pub is in Ireland. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I love like uh, some of the places where where Hope has a tap where they'll have a little sort of uh, a little chalkboard tap panel where it's like brewed one kilometer from here, three kilometers from here. And it's nice to see that kind of yeah. uh, that kind of tie in. I know others are, do are doing similar as well. I just think of them because they're up the road. So <laughs> I, I was going to say the same thing when I was in Hope uh, last time I walked into a pub and they just had like, you know, a couple of the host or the Hope taps. And I thought that was really nice to kind of see like, oh, it's really local. Um, so yeah, that kind of marketing I think is good as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, Christine, you've got a bunch of questions too, but I, and I, I think John, what you were saying too, like it says, it's been 10 years. What, what do you think have been some of the really big changes for from kind of when you started writing about it, kind of paying attention, if you like to to now beyond maybe just kind of sheer numbers, which is, is exciting in yeah, itself. But um, I, I remember when a new Irish beer coming out was a once a year phenomenon. And it would be a <laughs> big thing for me to have the opportunity to write about uh, a brand new Irish beer. And now it's 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 probably more than one a day. <laughs> it's pretty much impossible to keep up with. Um, so yeah, I think it's the it's the variety. It's the it's when all the the home brewers got into commercial brewing <laughs> and uh, the idea of doing different styles um became such a, a a big thing that it was because you had independent beer before but it would be very much following the macro brands you would have mm. a lager a stout and a red ale because that's what was on the bar everywhere else um so you know when when Galway Hooker came out with their pale ale in whenever that was 2006 um that was absolutely revolutionary and then that was the beginning of um everything else that followed um I think, I mean, what what fascinates me as as a as a uh, a fan of uh, lambic and uh, goose, um, is the Irish wild fermentation mm. um, movement, mm. and people like Wide Street and Dot um, do some really interesting stuff uh, on that. And I think there's, um, I think it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Um, some of the the land and labor beers have been absolutely mm. world class mm -hmm. and definitely I've seen them holding their own at, at international festivals. Um it's always it's it's a very Irish thing to see an Irish person doing well abroad. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's <laughs> us. Um so I, I I'm really interested in in that end of things, um, the whole wild fermentation. Um I was asked to come up with a uh, an Irish themed beer seminar for the EBCU um, mm. and sort of haven't done much other than, than throw a few ideas around but it got me thinking well, what is it that, that Irish beer does because it's not it's not going to be red ale um, and I was thinking barrel aging we have some very interesting mm. um, things happening uh, with with barrel aging and the use of different barrels from the likes of, of Dot Again and Otterbank um, and how the different types of barrels can affect the the finished beer um and it ties in with our whiskey industry of course as well mm. um and i i i know barrel aging exists elsewhere but it just <laughs> seems to be a, a bigger part of the of the beer industry here which i think is, is kind of interesting so i'd kind of like at some point just to get a few of those people onto a onto a call just to, to talk about how that works yeah, I, I do feel like here it's a bit more kind of holistic. I kind of like you say, because of the whiskey industry, I feel like in a lot of other places, it can be very disconnected. It's like, oh, we bought some barrels from X or Y, but there's no kind of 
broader relationship but they're they're not kind of part of the same ecosystem if you like so but here they are and that is a really interesting thing and some of them even you know may have had you know the same barley that you know and then went into the whiskey and then it comes back and then we put the you know beer in it and that's an interesting that's an interesting narrative I think just how the the circle of life so And just to go back, uh, just to say, we've talked about in our Bach episode, we would sponsor a logger barrel aging program. <laughs> we have thoughts. A, lo- a long loggering program. We would, <laughs> beer ladies would buy a sponsored keg. So <clears throat> barrel. Dot seems to be making little else these days. They've had a succession <laughs> of about five barrel aged pilsners. Oh, I have to keep it on. And, and I wonder too, just thinking about styles. And and again, I don't know if this is a, a sort of you know, Bader-Meinhof thing, because I just feel like a lot of these have come out in the past week or so, but I feel like suddenly there's a lot of stouts out. I don't know if it's tis the season or if this is something new, because I know for a long time, a lot of the local, you know, smaller people are like, well, there's not much point in us making a stout because there's there's a big player in that space. Um, and a lot of people still are making some on a small scale or are making it for export. I know that a lot of the smaller uh, breweries, whether whether it's Hope, I know Bally Kilcavin, I've spoken to folks that their stout is hugely popular in Italy, France. You know, people are all, ooh, ooh, la stout. They want to see that. That's an Irish beer for them, but they want something that's not Guinness, which again, we're not bashing Guinness. We like Guinness too. It's just a different thing. But I, I'm curious if, is this just my impression or are more people starting to make stouts now for the local market? I, I don't know. And again, it may be seasonal, but. I would say it's seasonal. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I was writing a, a series of posts um, a couple of weeks ago and at, at the end of each one of them was like oh more pale more pale beer let's have some dark ones please and I realized I'd written that and at the something... end of every single one <laughs> um, so yeah I think that I think we're just getting into that season so yeah that's, uh, that is a good thing um, Wicklow Wolf has some very interesting mm. um, starts on the go um, and I mean, they're superb. I had the the winter locavore, which is a five point six percent, you know, easy drinking um, session ish stout, um, <laughs> but made with with Irish hops. And you always think, well, oh, you're using Irish hops, bless. Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> you've tried your hardest, but my God, it is deliciously hoppy. It's a lovely um, sort of green, fresh um, hop character to it. Uh, yeah and and i like a hoppy stout or a porter because you don't often see it uh or at least often see it done well so that's that i think is is a testament to you know maybe the the maturing of the industry as well yeah because that's right up my street i don't like well the odd time but i don't tend to gravitate towards like the sweeter stouts i like a nice dry or more hoppy stout so that's on right up my street um but yeah um if people aren't familiar growing hops in ireland is (laughs) difficult <laughs> it's a challenge yeah yeah it's doable but i think the first brewer in recent times to do it um i think stuck at it for about two years before deciding no it can't be done on any kind of scale too hard um i think wicklow wolf's advantage is that they have a, a horticulturist among mm. the owners so that's that's kind of his his thing first and foremost yeah, I do feel like with a lot of uh, a lot of our local breweries, we tend to be lucky where a lot of them have sort of at least a token sort of mad scientist, if you like, amongst <laughs> the, the bunch where they all have a slightly different, you know, sort of speciality. But uh, it, it helps to have that. And I think it adds some, yeah, some character and um, again, expertise to, to things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think was just kind of circles back to, to just how kind of amazing our craft beer industry is here in terms of like, 
from when I moved here and then John, like yourself, just how different things are. Um, I just want to talk a little bit more about sort of the changes that you've seen in the last um however many years and 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 innovations i should say you know that that kind of stuff what what had what has really caught you what what do you think is really like wow this is kind of, you know this is nice to see this is cool to see that kind of stuff hmm. um i mean i think the uh the mainstreaming of fear that that fact that um you will see those um those hope taps in in dublin um you will um, I've, it was originally, um, I think it was when Carlo Brewing first brought out their mm. pale ale. The badge is a very, very vibrant, bright green. So you could see it through the pub window from the outside <laughs> anywhere it was on. Um, and just that idea that of just being able to go into a pub without having to put too much thought into it. And um, yeah, there'll be there'll be there might be a little fawn, there might be ambush, there might be hop on, you know, there'll be something from a local independent brewery, which means that you can stay there to the point where on Saturday evening last, uh, one of my local pubs uh, reopened, having been closed for the, the whole pandemic period and had various commercial related woes. Um, but it was somebody told me it would reopen. So I thought, oh, yeah, we'll we'll head there for for a pint. And they used to have a good three or four um, breweries represented on, across six or seven taps. It wasn't by no means a speciality craft beer bar, but, you know, a, a place you could go and enjoy a few different beers from independent breweries. And I went in and was shocked that they had um, just Diageo, Heineken, oh, and so a couple of token other macros. And it's just... You know, how hard would it have been just to, to phone up one of your local breweries and get something in? So mm -hmm. um, hopefully that's just a temporary measure because they had only just reopened. Yeah. But, um, but it was just it was I was just surprised that there are still pubs like this, which have no um, independent option. I was doing the, the tippy toe thing where you're looking, peering into the fridge. That used to be how you got independent <laughs> Irish craft beer. There would be a bottle of O'Hara sitting at the back of a of a fridge somewhere and you'd have to do the tippy toes to mm -hmm. and point them out there. And if you asked for it, the barman would tell you, no, you don't have that. Oh <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it so still that, happens if you're trying to go to like maybe the theater or a concert. Sometimes that's the only place it's there and sometimes it's not even there, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean that whole the 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 way in which the craft beer enthusiast is catered, or not even the craft beer enthusiast, but someone who's interested in drinking something a bit different, yeah. um, is actually being catered for more in the mainstream. Um, and it's surprising when you look at the numbers. I mean, independent Irish beer is something like three percent of the market. Um, it went from being immeasurably small, you know, a decade or so ago um to being measurable um yeah. but then it seems that it sort of was was one and a half percent two percent three percent and then just seems to have stuck there i don't know why that is but it just doesn't seem to be um in any of the the industry reports that i've seen doesn't seem to be um growing in the way that you thought i was kind of i figured you know it'd be only a matter of time before we hit the the 12 percent that you have in the us or denmark but um yeah, just yeah especially with with, uh, with more canning and you know people just like during the pandemic people coming across things that maybe they wouldn't have seen otherwise if they're yeah. local so yeah. um maybe that yeah. will still come yeah mm. it's amazing how things just snap back to 
normality. <laughs> there wasn't this huge change. Um, yeah, it's, it's it was fascinating what happened um, during the pandemic as regards people's drinking habits. Um, I had not really realized how much of a magic spell draft Guinness casts mm. <laughs> that people yeah. people were spending hundreds on home draft systems rather than buying two euro cans of what is exactly the same beer yeah um it's very strange and the idea that that Guinness is something that has to be served on draft uh, preferably in a pub otherwise you drink something else um it's really just really weird I don't know I don't know where that where that comes from or how that happened. <laughs> Very good marketing. Yeah, it's a um, it's a it's a ritual. Yes, ritual. Yeah, yeah, ritual purpose. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. Although along those uh, along those lines too, I, I I feel like too a lot of the you know a, a lot of the smaller brewers are getting a real reputation of getting proper sort of certifications for sustainability and and things like that. So I wonder if that will also maybe drive some. Uh, consumer interest as well. I, I just think there's a good, you know, five or six who are really good and getting noticed for that. And, and hopefully that will maybe drive more, again, not, not just more or sort of um, consumer traffic their way, but just kind of industry mm. trends as well. Like maybe the, the big guys will follow them in some ways. Yeah. But I think sure now we also have playing against us, the economic crisis the, the, and the energy crisis and all these things, you know, people don't have the disposable income perhaps that they used to. So maybe like in theory, the market is in fact larger. It's just that there are people who can't make those decisions because they're, you know, they're choosing to heat their home or they're choosing to, you know, pay for grocery, not choosing to that, you know, they have to. Right. Mm. So, you know, I'd be interested to see if those things are resolved and when they're resolved, what, how that looks and how, you know, what the long-term things are, because I feel like, you know, we're still very much in a cost of living crisis. And I think, you know, it, it might not actually represent accurately the people who are interested in, in purchasing things that they just don't have the purchasing power right now. And hopefully, hopefully, you know, we'll get this solved at some point and people will be able to buy houses and, and not have to, you know, and be able to you know feed their families and take care of themselves and not have to make these choices but you know we are forced to make these choices now. what's strange about that though is that and i definitely have come across this perception that that craft beer is more expensive than than the mainstream brands and the mainstream brands are you know premium for a reason they're, yeah. they're that just means that they're advertised on television and <laughs> they're they're not good value beers and when you consider what you can get from the likes of Rye River in uh, Lidl, it's um, mm -hmm. there's really, really good value to be had in in independent uh, Irish beers. Yeah, absolutely, and especially with the recent sort of kerfuffle over Heineken now charging publicans mu much more for uh, you know per keg, and that the number of craft brewers come out saying, "Well, ours are the same price. We haven't <laughs> raised our prices." Like, hi, yeah. here we are. So yeah, I'm sure yeah, the little and out, the little and Aldi ranges are great for that yeah. that's where I buy most of my beer to be honest with you and it's it's great like it's you know what you're gonna get it's consistent it's good and the Solace range I think that's Rye River in Tesco yeah. is their their Belgian white is 
chef's kiss very good yeah and and i'll say that's a, the lock the lock gill ones that they do for um for i guess is it little or aldi i, I forget which aldi. but aldi. they they have a bitter it's the only place i can find a bitter so and it's gorgeous it's a lovely beer and it's yeah. very affordable um, yeah I'll, that... I'll put my tuppence worth in for a tesco's manislav which is a pilsner made at Dundalk Bay. I think it's a ripoff of Budvar, but it's <laughs> absolutely superb. It's very, very accurately done. Um, and before minimum pricing came in, it was, I think, 120 a bottle. Oh, so it's now yeah. the ridiculous sum of two euro a bottle, but still good value at that. But, oh, yeah. And they're all really, like the the bitter that Loch Gill makes for Aldi. I mean, I used that to make my um, school teen and it was excellent yeah it's rich as well so yeah i yeah i think i but but you know you have to know that you have to kind of you know so i think maybe that's on us to get the word out a bit more um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah th those those grocery store beers are very good they are and i feel like we don't have and and maybe john this would be interesting to get your your opinion i feel like we don't have a kind of um bias or sort of antagonism against you know people getting their beers into a supermarket the way they have in the UK where there's this almost reflexive like oh they're selling out now it's not good anymore or, you know or oh they've sold out to the man or whatever and, and I feel like here it's like oh well done now you're more accessible and there again this is broadly generalizing but I feel like there's a there's a bias when when beers are available in the supermarket yeah I'm sure that exact same thing exists here maybe it's not quite as loud but I definitely can see that there is no substitute when it, term, when it comes to getting beer into people's hands. Um, that's how you do it. One of my other time sinks is <laughs> I'm the editor for Untapped in Ireland. So mm, whenever, yeah. you know, whenever a, a new beer arrives, um, I get notification of it and, and I can see what's happening. And you definitely see it with the supermarket beers. There are just far, far more people drinking them, checking them in. Um, so I would say for the, the breweries, um, it's well worth doing. I did have one brewery tell me that they got a better margin from Aldi than they did in the independent trade mm. or one of the beers that they did. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. Well, it's just convenient. Like when I'm going shopping, you know, I'll just, oh, you know, why don't I just pick up a beer or two? Whereas, you know, I love going to my independence. I go to my independence, but I have to think about it. It's a plan. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Oh, I think there's a place for them all in the ecosystem. I think the problem Absolutely. in the UK is that you do have probably more independent stores that would consider the likes of, you know, Cloudwater to be their breweries yeah. and then they get annoyed mm -hmm. when that goes into into the, the supermarkets but it's an ecosystem something else will, will come and, and, and take its place you know definitely yeah I think I think that's an important thing to say I think that all of them are important and they all kind of play in together and 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 they work well together because I love my independent shops as I said pick this up at Martin's and I I love going to Martin's Martin's is like me and a kid in candy store so <laughs> you know I Love haven't that. been over in a while. It's uh, it's a bit of a, a bit of a um, building site over there at the moment. I think is it. Uh, it's better. It's better. It's cleaned it? up a bit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's, yeah. It's pretty bad. I can't wait for Christmas and all the the Christmas beers and every. Oh, I'm so excited! Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're uh, already halfway through November, so you won't have to wait uh, long. Yes. Oh, I know. And next week Thanksgiving, which starts Christmas season for me in my head. So, uh, I mean, it already started after Halloween. I mean, at least. <laughs> For the kids, it's like phew, immediate. Yeah, so. yeah, I think it was literally first of November was when the Christmas TV ads started. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, no, absolutely. And and like all the Christmas lights are up everywhere. I, mean, I was in London this past weekend, Christmas lights everywhere. Uh, you know, we're not waiting anymore. It's like immediate. I do feel like it used to be mid-November, like maybe like mm-hmm. around, you know, sort of around maybe the 15th, 16th, but now it's like day after, yeah, day after Halloween, it's it's on. And I, and I, I confess, I have not chosen my, my advent box yet of beer. And you know, I like to be surprised. So uh, I've got to get on that. Oh, Lisa, do you have any further questions? We can start wrapping. I, I would say my only my only question at this point is what what do you think is uh, sort of coming next over the horizon? What are we going to see in <laughs> sort of twenty twenty three? What's going to be the, the hot new local thing? I uh, I make a point of not <laughs> doing predictions. No, no predictions. <laughs> yeah. um, I, always, I used to love as Jeff Allworth's blog. He always used to do his yeah. predictions and they were always way out. Yes. Um, yes. Or, or the, the other thing that I really hate and what I end up doing it's what, what I would end up doing if you press me on this is just saying things that are already happening. It's okay. No one else has noticed. Yeah. <laughs> what I am concerned about is I don't think we've seen even the beginning of what's going to happen with regard to energy prices and mm. all of that. And um, we will, yeah. we, there will definitely be casualties there. Um, yeah. I, I really hope it's, it's, it's not too severe. Um, but I would say that will be a worry uh, when it comes to, you know, the end of the Christmas period and the lean weeks of, of January, um, you know, there's, I think there may be a couple of breweries that have very quietly either folded or just, um, you know, gone into suspension after the pandemic. I haven't seen hiding or hair of them since. Mm. So I wonder, could we have a few more of those when we get into the into the winter? But hopefully not. That's not a very cheery note to end on. But... No, and we have good news. Like like the underdog is back open here oh, in yeah, Dublin. So good. we finally have a place to go for all of us craft beer nerds. It's uh, we've been missing that. So Absolutely. I feel like we have we all run into each other there yet? I, I think at least several of us have. So it's, <laughs> uh, it just happens. Yeah. No, it's great. I was um in, in on Thursday of last week and that used to be my Thursday thing they always used to put yeah. the new beers on on Thursday and I would go after work and it just felt good to be back at the bar on a mm-hmm. Thursday evening definitely and cask is coming so much to look forward to there mm-hmm. I can't wait I have not made it down yet so once I'm released back into the wild and I can <laughs> drink beer again uh it'll be one of my first stops so pumpkin beer wait. festival at yours and then over to the underdog Yes, yes, that sounds exactly like my what my Christmas plans are going to be. Brilliant. So, John, I just want to say thank you so much for, for coming on today That's and lovely. sharing with us uh, your history and your background and your amazing work at Bior and uh, on Taps and, and everything that you do. So thank you so much for coming on. And again, congratulations on your award. We're thank so you. happy you. for you. <laughs> Um, and yeah, thank you to Lisa for, for joining me today. And so for our listeners, um, just remember you can check us out on all of our socials. And if you liked what you heard, buy us a beer for Christmas. Or um, buy some merch, y'all would look lovely. Would look lovely. Yeah. Oh, it's a great Christmas present. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.